So that's Matthew chapter 16, and I'm starting at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Okay, well, good morning. It's very, very good to be with you and good to be able to share something from the Word of God. And it's also uh, an opportunity. I've been specifically asked just to share something of the recent trip and some of the things that God has been doing. But before we do that, we're going to pray. Let's just pray once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed for your Word and we thank you for the insight, the opening up of our hearts and minds to Jesus as we read the word. And we do pray that uh, as we gather today, that you would make Jesus known to us. We pray that uh, anyone who's come among us who at this moment of time doesn't personally know Jesus, that you would draw them near to yourself. Lord, we do look to you for your help, and I pray very much for your help as I share now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we, we do have a few pictures, and uh, basically, I've just come back from Malawi and Kenya, and uh, I was with a group of people to begin with in Nairobi, and uh, these are people who we've been working with for some time, and they come from a number of the slum areas of Nairobi. There was a time when we used to have one place and bring people together in that one place. But uh, Nairobi, like a number of cities, has found the traffic problems massively increase, and getting from one side of the city to the other can take many hours, and therefore it's been really encouraging to be able to have people who gather in Kibera, in Mathari, in Karangwari, in Boroboro, in Dandora. And uh, they gather in those places and we go to them. But these leaders, they come to us. Uh, there's two young men there. One is Andrew, the other is John Wilson. Andrew Wilson is working with us at Lansing Tab. And uh, John Wilson, his brother, they are the sons of a pastor called Steve Wilson in Mississippi. And they came out to help us. So we had this good time in Nairobi, sharing with those leaders and uh, praying with them, hearing what was happening in the different parts of the city and encouraging them in their work of making Jesus known. Now, we hope this works. Oh, it does work. Okay, that's good. 
And uh, now we, we move to Malawi. Now normally, if I'm in a picture with someone, I would be the shorter one and the other person would be taller. But uh, Aubrey is so sh- small that uh, that's how it looks. That's not a distortion of the picture. That is a reality. But uh, Aubrey Chatata is an incredible man. He uh, grew up finding that his father abandoned him at a very, very young age. And he was being brought up by his mother, and he became a Christian. He came to know Jesus. And that was obviously very exciting for him, except that uh, when he told his mother, his mother said, well, if you're going to be a Christian, goodbye. You're no longer welcome in this home. And so he was literally thrown out. And uh, he grew up as a young boy, as a young man, seeking to follow Jesus in extremely difficult circumstances. But he's an incredibly passionate man. He's little, but he's got a massive heart. And one of the things that he has a heart for is the villages. And uh, the villages are particularly important in a number of areas of the world. But there are still, we, we were seeing figures about unevangelized areas. There are still villages in places like Malawi and other parts that have not heard the gospel. And so he's able to take us into places where in these more remote places, you know they're remote because you start to leave uh, the sort of uh, normal beaten track and you go not just sort of on a road, it's almost like a pathway over very narrow bridges, hoping that the vehicle will not crush the little bridge as you go over and uh, pushing aside uh, bushes as you move deeper into the country. The other challenge and interest was that uh, these people who he took us to had never seen a white man before in two of those areas. And and so I I don't know quite what they thought of us, but uh, it was very, very encouraging, in fact, to not only just be there as white people, but much more to be able to tell these people about Jesus. And that was very, very exciting. We were told that one village that we entered, that we would need uh, the permission of the chief man, uh, the sort of tribal elder. And uh, he's the man in the yellow shirt. And basically, the situation with him is that uh, he was in charge. He uh, was very, very key, and he was a Muslim. And therefore, I guess when Aubrey approached him, he wondered quite how this would work out. But uh, he said, yes, you can come. And he heard that uh, Living Hope gives out Bibles. And he said, you can come, and I want a Bible. And so we were able to present this man with a Bible. And uh, as I'm standing there, you, you, I, I knew I was going to present him a Bible. I hadn't thought really, what am I going to say? And I remembered... How, not that I was there, but I remembered at the coronation of our queen that she is given a Bible. And uh, the words, some of you will know the words much more accurately than me, but the words are roughly to the effect, Your Majesty, this is the most precious thing that this world affords. This is incredible. This he, contains the statutes of God. You really need this. And of course, she uh, even then was very wealthy and today perhaps even more wealthy. But she was told, this Bible, this is incredibly precious 
and that's why we want to give it to you. So I gave it to this man with these words. I wasn't trying to say he was a king or anything like that, but it was just really to give him the sense that this is a very, very important book. And as we were in these villages, uh, we found the opportunity to proclaim the gospel, and I'll share more about that in a moment, but proclaim the gospel, and we were told that over 80 people profess faith in Christ for the very, very first time. And that was very humbling to be able to go and to see these people gather. Even in the areas where we weren't, there were people who were having some care of churches, but they were not born again. They were pastors, if you like, leaders, but they didn't actually have a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, we know that still happens. It happens all over the world. It's not just an Africa situation. People can be in a position where you think they would know Jesus, they would know the faith in a personal way, but sometimes that just isn't true. And one of the things I've very much learned over the years is you never presume. You, you need to always share the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, because only God knows the heart. And when I say 80 people profess faith in Christ, that's exactly what happened. I cannot tell you that 80 people were genuinely saved. God alone knows the heart. But what you do know is you present the truth, you give an opportunity for people to respond, and when they respond, you are able to direct them into the kingdom of God and bring them to know the Lord Jesus. And then you have to leave them. And one of the key things for Aubrey will be to seek to have some sort of discipleship program to start to care and build Christian truth into the lives of those who've made a profession of faith in Christ. Not long after, I think it was this village, not long after this village, I don't have a picture of it, but we were taken to an incredibly humble home. Uh, one of the things that's perhaps a blessing, not always to my wife, but a blessing to me, is that I'm oblivious to my surroundings. And uh, I couldn't tell you the color of paint on certain walls around us and all of that. I just, just don't register it. But it's very useful when you're going to certain parts of the world not to be too attentive as to the state of the furniture, the state of the room, the state of the floor, the ceiling, whatever, if there is a ceiling. Uh, all of these things it's good not to be unduly aware of. And we went into this very humble home, and in the corner there was a man lying on a bed. And he did look somewhat frightened. Now, I don't think it was because he was seeing white people for the first time, but uh, he was very clearly not well. And we were told that he'd been on that bed of sickness for about six months, and he had never got up from the bed. People had come to him, they tried to diagnose his condition, but they weren't really sure, but he, he was in a very bad way. And so we were called upon to pray for him. And uh, that was a challenge, but we decided we would just call on Jesus and pray for him, pray that God would heal him. Well, I can say that almost immediately he perked up, and you could see in his eyes that something had happened. But the next day, Aubrey was very excited, and he said to us, that man got up from his bed for the very first time after six months of laying there. So we're looking to God. One of the things I've said 
over the years, it's very important, and that is when God does things like that, when people come to Christ, when people are healed, and there were others who were prayed for, for healing of all sorts of situations, I've discovered a very uh, helpful way of handling that. And that is to say that when God does these things, we give him all the glory. It's very important not to ever try and steal that. We don't do anything. All you do is just pray and look to God. But the other thing that I've said is that if it doesn't happen, I don't take the blame. And I find that very, very helpful because otherwise you could just feel guilty. You pray for people and you do see things happen and sometimes you pray and you may not immediately see a response. But God is still working. God is still in charge. And therefore we don't need to feel guilty when we pray and we don't see happen what we would like to happen. And yet at the same time we keep on praying. When I was later in Nairobi... Uh, uh, could you turn the pictures off now, please? Uh, when I was later in, in Nairobi, uh, I had the opportunity to be in a seminar with a number of leaders. And as I was walking across to an office, a lady came up to me and she said, thank you very much. You prayed for me when you were here last year. Now, I couldn't remember her. I couldn't remember exactly what we prayed about. But one of the things that one has prayed about over the years is ladies who are not able to have children and praying that God might just uh, work and that they might have children. And she said, now I have a child. I have a baby. And she showed me a picture of the baby that God had given her and her husband. And again, one thanks God because in any culture, in any situation, that's a very challenging thing. But of course, in an African culture, uh, people can feel terribly guilty, they can feel judged, they can feel condemned because they're not able to have children. But when God grants that blessing, uh, there can be much joy. I did have a situation, possibly some of you are aware of this story, many years ago when I prayed for someone that God would give them children and uh, a few months later, at least nine months later, uh, one of our sons, Phil, went into the area and uh, a man came up to him with a little baby. And uh, he held this little baby in his arms and he said to our son, Philip, uh, this is Richard Brunton. And uh, my, my son was somewhat bemused and uh, he said, well, your dad prayed for my wife to have children and here is the child. Well, we thank God, but I do urge and beg that if people are blessed with children, please don't name them Richard Brunton. Uh, there's no need for that. There is, well, there's plenty of Richard Bruntons, in fact, if you look up in directories and internet and whatever, but uh, we don't need any more. And it can get even more complicated. One woman even said, he even looks like you. And you oh no, please, uh, <laughs> I know what you're trying to do, but this isn't helpful at all. But, uh, it is, it is very exciting to see God working. It's very exciting to go into, as I've said, in Malawi, going into areas where they've not heard about Jesus. And the responsibility, it's a great privilege, but the enormous responsibility of making Jesus known, making sure that the gospel you preach is a full gospel, because uh, it's so good to come to Jesus and everything will be great. Uh, one of the things that we've done already today in our service, which is so important, 
is to acknowledge confession, repentance, putting things right with God. Then we can receive and enjoy the salvation that he gives. But you can't really get too excited about being saved if you haven't realized that you're a sinner lost and needing to be saved. It's vital to understand why we need to be saved. And so we had these different experiences and these different situations, gathering people together. One of the things that was particularly helpful and encouraging, we've been teaching about 15 groups by telephone, and every representative of that group came together in Nairobi. That was exciting. I have got a map. It won't take time now to show it. But there's a map of the different areas, the distances that these people traveled in order to come together. But one of the things that's absolutely clear is the hunger for the Word of God. The real desire to know God's Word and to be taught God's Word. And therefore, with all what I've shared in mind, let's come to the passage that was read to us in Matthew chapter 16. What we see in this passage is perhaps the first time that Jesus is drawing the disciples closer to himself in order that they have the opportunity to discover who he is. Now, of course, they've formed ideas and opinions, and we wonder sometimes what discussions took place. Jesus, of course, was up very early in the morning going to the place to pray, And you can just uh, speculate sometimes that uh, maybe some of the disciples are getting together and saying, what do you make of Jesus? Who do you think he really is? Uh, What's going on? And, And they're obviously intrigued. They're amazed. They've seen incredible miracles. But now comes the time for Jesus to actually speak more openly. This is happening at Caesarea Philippi. Now, I did share in the 8 o'clock service. I don't know if there's anyone in the 8 o'clock service who's also come to this one. Uh, I'll try not to repeat too much. But uh, essentially, Caesarea Philippi, uh, in its sort of natural state, was a bit of a pagan place. It was the source of the River Jordan. But uh, there was other things happening there. There was certainly a god called Panin who was uh, in evidence there. And Jesus, standing up in this place, asked the question, Who do men say that I am? Now, I'm sure Jesus asked that question genuinely because he always would. And yet at the same time, it's a question that's leading to another question. And sometimes we can generalize. Sometimes we can talk about the faith in a kind of a very general, almost speculative way. But when it's honed in to the point of what do you believe? What do you understand? That gets much sharper and much more focused And that's where we need to be listening incredibly carefully. And we know that the disciples, they give various answers and they talk about mainly uh, prophets that have uh, been around in the past and uh, they're kind of comparing, they're struggling uh, for some sort of answer. They go, as I said this morning earlier, they go to a safe place. If we say he's a prophet... Uh, that that's something which is fairly respectable, that will go down okay. They don't know quite what Jesus is asking for. And then Jesus does ask the question, who do you say that I am? It's absolutely critical, it's absolutely essential 
that we know who Jesus is. That is the core of our gospel, Jesus. The understanding of who he is, why he came, what he's achieved for us, that is the truth that we proclaim. That's what makes us distinctive. It's not that we're intolerant. It's not that we want to be arrogant, but we want to be absolutely crystal clear and as bold as we can be to say that Jesus is unique. There is no one like Jesus. There is no savior like Jesus. There is no one who can do for us what Jesus can do for us. Only Jesus is the answer to our deepest need. And unashamedly, whatever anyone's religion, philosophy, background, wherever you are in the world, making Jesus known is what is absolutely essential. And Peter answers and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is a very important point, of course. Peter is proclaiming the truth, but what Jesus recognizes and what we also understand is this. This understanding of who Jesus is, is not a simple intellectual exercise. It's not because he'd read a few good books during the week that he was able to make this conclusion. But he's making this conclusion, Jesus says, on the basis of revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit. And as we share the gospel with our friends, with our neighbors, as you share the gospel in this church, it's so important, isn't it, that we pray, Lord, open the hearts of people to understand who Jesus is. Reveal yourself to them. I trust that all of us, in some sense or other, have come to a time in our lives where there was a real revelation and opening of the eyes. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is this for me. Jesus is not just someone I've heard about. He's not someone else, someone that other people that I know in my family or friends who are passionate about. I've come to know him. I've come to understand for myself who he is. And Peter is given that understanding. Now, whether he was given it in that moment or whether it was something that was like uh, uh, water in a kettle coming to the boil, I, I don't quite know. But he does come to the point where he's able to declare without a conviction, you are the Christ, you're the promised one, you're the Messiah, you are God. And he lifts up who Jesus is. But one of the things that this passage teaches us is that uh, it's not long after that, it's very, very quick after that, that Jesus is wanting to say to Peter and to the others, what is happening in terms of the great salvation I've come to bring is that I'm going to have to go to a cross. I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to die. And so very quickly, if there's anything getting excited in the hearts of he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, so the Romans are going to be kicked out and every oppression and problem, physical, economic, political coming our way is all going to be resolved. Jesus says, the salvation that I've come to bring, lifting people out of darkness, lifting people out of the devil's kingdom, bringing people into the life of God, that means that I need to go to the cross. I will suffer and I will die. And so Peter and the disciples, we know they struggle a bit at that. And of course, when it comes to Jesus actually going to the cross, they have massive struggles because they 
had been told about it, but they hadn't really sunk in. And one of the things that you notice when you're sharing the gospel, whether you're sharing the gospel with people who've heard it many times, or whether you're sharing the gospel in places where they've hardly heard it at all, it's very important that we share, as I said a few minutes ago, that we share the full gospel. We are preaching Jesus, who is God, who is supreme, who reigns and rules over all, the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But we proclaim that this incredible, wonderful Jesus was prepared to sacrifice himself, to become sin for us, to take the wrath of God upon his shoulders, to defeat sin, Satan, death, hell, to demolish all that uh, spiritual structure and to bring us into a freedom with God. Jesus had to suffer and die. And of course, that means that when we come to know Jesus and follow Jesus, we then appreciate that though he will bless us in so many ways and though he will provide for us and he will guide us and he will protect us and he will strengthen us, he'll, he'll reveal good things to us. But he has never promised that being a follower of his is an easy ride. We too will have to pick up our cross, deny self, and follow him. And that's why understanding Jesus means that we understand that we do go through difficult times. We are not exempt from some of the challenges and pressures that others have in the world. But the difference for us is that the Lord Jesus Christ comes alongside us. And he's able to give us a peace that passes understanding. Despite our circumstances, despite whatever is happening in our body, we are able to know that he is still sovereign and he is in charge. And so Jesus shares more about what it will mean for him to bring forgiveness and salvation to us. As we seek to make Jesus known, whether it's in some remote area where no one's hardly trodden before, or whether it's with a neighbor across the road, what we're sharing today is this. We say, Lord, reveal yourself. How does God reveal himself? Well, he reveals himself Firstly, through his word. When we share the word of God, that opens a door for life and light to come in. And we need to share. That doesn't mean that we stand in front of people preaching to them all the time. But in our conversation, in our fellowship, in our uh, friendship, whatever, we seek to share the word of God. And the second thing that speaks volumes is when our lives back up what we say. People are always encouraged, challenged, impressed. When they hear the scripture and when they understand what God is saying, but they see living examples of the word of God in you and in me. And that means that sometimes walking through the valleys as well as in the mountaintops, we demonstrate the life of Christ. Who do you say that I am? And this morning, let our hearts resound with the statement, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord.
And I want others to know him because to know him is life eternal.